I will never beseech education regardless of how it was obtained. Right. Education is education is education, right? If you get there by sacrificing four years of your life and deploying and fighting for freedoms and fighting for everything like that, if you get there, you've, you've earned it. You have earned it without a shadow of a doubt and you should be using it and you have every right to and it, it belongs to you by right. But it is just so damning that we as a society have to resort to that. To fill our ranks of military with people who just want to go to college because they can't afford to otherwise. In my opinion, the free getting paid to go to college to join the military, that's not enough. What, what do you mean? mean? Look how many how many issues veterans have. You said what? Thirty percent. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, not enough for veterans. You mean? Yeah, 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 oh, yeah. Hundred yeah. percent. Like once once you get through the military, it's like they kind of stop caring. Yeah. Oh, here's another fun fact for you. Um, so there was a uh, bill that was recently uh, passed. It was actually passed, right? And uh, the bill was three pages long. Very short bill, right? I forget what exactly it was called. But it was basically, the bill was three pages long, and it, all it said was that any time that a soldier or a veteran is granted a Purple Heart or disabled veteran status or anything like that, that would allow them for eligibility to be enrolled in VA healthcare after they leave the service, within six months, the secretary, and I believe that's the secretary of state or something like that, it didn't specify, has to enroll them just automatically within six months of them being eligible to be enrolled, the secretary has to enroll them, right? This bill, that's literally all it did. And it get, and it made it so that like the veteran in, in, in question, right? If you like, you know, if you as a veteran were enrolled in this healthcare, that you were given the opportunity and the option, uh, the information to opt out of it and were told, hey, you're enrolled in this now. That's it. It was three pages, very simple. It does literally nothing inconvenient. Almost every Republican voted against it. And I legitimately ask myself why. I legitimately have asked people, why? What is the point? Even Dan Crenshaw, who is a former Navy SEAL, voted against it. He is a veteran, and he voted against that bill. A bill that would make it only easier for veterans to be taken care of because all it does is say, hey, if you are disabled veteran status or if you want a Purple Heart or if you were in any other way eligible for VA healthcare, you're automatically enrolled within six months of being eligible. That's it. That's all it did. And people voted against it. And it's like, why? Yeah. I legitimately ask that question. I want an answer. Why? There is no reason why I can think of, and if anybody out there knows, please, if anybody can give me a legitimate justification for voting no on this bill, please tell me. I want to know. I am asking this question. Why would anybody vote against it? And if the answer is because fuck them, then just say that. Tell me you don't care about veterans without telling me you don't care about veterans, right? Especially the veterans that got deployed over to Iraq and all that. Mm -hmm. Vietnam vets, like... They sacrificed a lot more than four years of their life. Oh, yeah. I recently found out, speaking about this whole thing, a friend of mine, another veteran of mine, right? He was National Guard, right? Did, I think it was like six years or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe it was one deployment that he had. Uh, Might have been two, right? But he was not eligible for his entire GI Bill. Because in the National Guard, even if you serve your 
full term of service and everything like that, you need to have three deployments in order to get your full GI Bill. And I legitimately was like, what the hell? I wonder how many people actually get the three deployments. In the National Guard? Mm -hmm. I mean, if they do 20 years, maybe. Yeah. But at that point, you get a pension, you know? And hey, you right. more power to you. But like, it. I'm pretty sure there's someone keeping track like, uh, no, we'll skip this person. They already had yeah. two. Yeah, like it's, but it's crazy to me. Like, how are you going to do that? He was, a, he was a National Guardsman and he deployed. I didn't. I was active duty. I did not deploy. He arguably did more for the country than I ever will. And I get my benefits and he doesn't? Come on. No. Screw that. I worked with a guy who um, served in Iraq. He's a real cool guy, Marlon. It seems like every story he told me always started with, well, I don't know, coach, but when I was in Iraq, <laughs> <laughs> man could sleep anywhere. He would sleep standing up. Oh, yeah. Before he, I think it was before he started being the guy that drove any vehicle there could possibly be. Like, he drove everything, even those giant cranes that, like, mm. extend out, like, 20 feet on each side. Yep. But before that, I believe he was cleaning vehicles after, like, a forensic team would look at them. And, like, he would have to clean up the blood, the brains, all of that. That man should be taken care of for the rest of his life, in my opinion. Anyone who gets injured or has any sort of... PTSD or anything like that from the military in general. All veterans, honestly, should be taken care of for the rest of their life, in my opinion. You know? At least at least the basics. Education, healthcare, and as much money as we can throw towards them for housing. Well, we do get... Um, there, there is actually a pretty decent housing thing. We get... Uh, well, it's not uh, enough. Yeah. I don't care what it is. It's not enough. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> For those of you that don't know, the VA home loan, which is a, uh, it's essentially the same rate as like a first time home, uh, first, um, first time homeowners buy, where you put zero down, like nothing down for a down payment on a house and it can approve, uh, I believe it's like the standard rate is like $50,000 more than what you would get from a private loan approval, which is very nice, but it's practically worthless in this market, but hey, you know, whatever, anything more, anything is better, right? So, yeah. And this is not me shilling for the military. You make that choice on your own. I wholeheartedly support you do or don't, but I'm, I'm not a recruiter. Yeah, speaking of recruiters, for the most part, fuck those guys. Like, you're thank not you. You're wrong, you're not wrong. Thank you, thank, I thank <laughs> them for their service. But they use some underhanded tactics oh, to recruit people. Yeah. And I am vehemently against them going to schools and recruiting. Yeah, I let's talk about that. I want to um, say, firstly, thank you to Mr. Henderson, my English teacher in high school, senior AP English. He was very, like, anti-military complex kind of guy. Right. And he would actively, on the, those career fair days, go out there and try to shoo the kids away from the military <laughs> recruiters. The first book he had us read on summer vacation was All Qu All's Quiet on the Western Front. Oh, that's a book. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Like, he was trying to get it into our heads well before career fair. Yeah. And it's... Uh, I remember being in school assemblies where they would have, you know, members of the armed service, you know, the Army, the Navy, the Marines, and everything like that. I Specifically, I remember the Marines because I was actually thinking about joining the Marines at this point. But I remember the Marine Corps 
And the one guy was talking to us, a whole assembly about it, and we were like 80 kids in this assembly, and it was just crickets. He was like getting, going his whole spiel and everything like that, yada, yada, yada. And he was just getting nowhere with them. So he finally pulled out. He was like, hey, kids, how many people here play an instrument? And then a couple of people raised their hand, and he was like, cool, you can join the Marine Corps marching band. You don't have to deploy. You go through basic training, and then you just play music all day for the Marine Corps. You don't have to deploy. You don't have to deploy. Did I mention you don't have to deploy? It was just a shameless plug. Which is what they do. Like, it's it's their job, right? They, they shamelessly plug for the military. In a way, God bless them for it, but not to children. Exactly. Please, not to children. Let children not be brainwashed. Don't put these ideas in children's heads about this specific religion or military service or anything like that. Let them make their own educated decisions. And I'm not telling people out there that you shouldn't take your kids to religious services or that you shouldn't teach them about religion or anything like that. But just make sure that they understand that everything is their choice. If you want to join the military, that's fine. If you want to become a Christian, Catholic, Muslim, Jewish, whatever, Buddhist. that's fine. Buddhist. Atheist, Satanist, Satanist, Rastafarian, Pastafarian, whatever. I don't care. Shout just out make to sure, all my Wiccans and witches out there too. Just <laughs> make sure that it's your decision. This is for the kids out there that might be listening to this, which you probably shouldn't. But no, yeah. Make sure it's your decision, and tell your children that it is their decision. Nobody can make that decision for them, and they are the ones that are going to have to go with the consequences of it. I do not regret my service at all. I would do it again in a heartbeat if I could. I would do it the exact same way. Wouldn't change a damn thing, except for maybe a couple of things, but <laughs> I wouldn't change my joining. I wouldn't change what I did. I would do everything exactly the same as I could. I don't regret it at all. But I'm not going to say that it hasn't affected me in a lot of negative ways. My back, my knees, my whole body is messed up because of what the military did to me. And I do have some mental things that are wrong with me from some of the stuff that I've seen and done while I was in the military. That's not going to change. I'm going to make sure that my kids know the possible consequences of joining the military if they decide to do so. Right. And I'm not just going to shill it to them and be like, oh, you get to be this super cool special forces operator. You play Call of Duty, right? That's going to be you. You're going to be a badass on the front lines mowing down Nazis or mowing down jihadis or whatever the nameless enemy of the day is, right? No. That's not cool. I remember actually, and we're going off on a bit of a tangent here. I remember when I was talking to my dad about joining the military. And I, I cringe on it now when I hear myself talk about it. But I told him, I was like, Dad, like, I know what I'm getting into. Like, I know what it's like to, like, be in war. And I told him because I was an idiot. I was like, I played video games. Like, I know what I'm talking about, Dad. And my dad just looked at me and he told me a story about my uncle who was in the Vietnam, right? And he told me a story about my uncle who was, he was, my uncle did a lot of things during Vietnam. One of the main things that he did was he was just... He would scout out a, an entire grid zone, basically, where he was like, cool, you have this one kilometer by one kilometer area, go scout it out, find enemies for us. And he was there basically alone. He had like his buddy with him. They were scout, they were, they were force recon. And one day they're on a patrol and they're crouching through the bushes, crouching through the vegetation and an entire basically company of Viet Cong just strolls right past them. And they have to stop crouch down in the bushes, can't move, can't even breathe. 
as they watch the enemy take up a defensive position 50 yards away from them. They stayed there for 12 hours before they moved out. And my uncle had to sit there, crouched with 40 pounds of gear on him, in the bushes, unable to move, unable to piss or shit for 12 hours for fear of being spotted. By the time the enemy moved out, he spent another six hours just trying to get feeling back in his legs. And me, being my stupid 17-year-old kid self, I was like, oh, that's not going to happen to me. I'll be fine. And thank God that it didn't. But still, you know. Yeah. It just tells you the mindset of a child, right? Like you, you, you're invincible, you know? Everybody thinks they're invincible when they're young. When I was 18 years old, I was invincible. <laughs> I was convinced when I was 18 years old that if I actually did deploy, I would get shot 18 times in the chest and drag my wounded, you know, teammates out of the firefight and all that stuff because I was invincible. <laughs> no, it doesn't happen like that. Not always, anyway. No. But you can't tell that to a kid. Because you can't tell anything to a kid. Believe me, I'm trying. I'm actively trying. You can't tell them anything. Bit of a tangent there, but no, I it's mean, an it, important one. It, it's, it's still that, that it ties kind of into how we overly sanitize everything mm, for schools. Yeah, you know, we're we're taught like the 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 heroics and all that of soldiers, but we aren't taught necessarily the realities of war. Yeah. Unless you have Mr. Henderson, <laughs> uh, yeah. then he makes sure you know. Yeah. And, you know, you aren't taught the full history. I, I mean, that's, of course, why we're here right now doing the podcast. Yeah. We don't, they don't teach you the full history of everything. You know, we, we teach, you know, uh, was it 1492 Columbus sailed the ocean blue? It's like, yeah, we also don't tell you that he, you know, was hated by the Spanish, jailed, um, his own crew hated him, he caused a massive genocide, and yeah, uh, he potentially also liked kids a little too much. Yeah. I believe he wrote about that in his own journal. Yeah. He, um... He fancied, he definitely fancied the younger natives, which he would actively have his way with against their will. He speaks about that. He speaks about how, um, you know, uh, one of the native girls uh, didn't take to him very well. So after he roughed her up a little bit, she finally, you know, caved into his demands. And it's like, really? Mm -hmm. You're just going to casually write about, like, you know, trigger warning here. You're just going to casually write, write about raping somebody in your diary? Yeah. As if that's not a thing that people do like no but i will say and you know just speaking from you know social studies major that we are starting to get towards teaching what people would call actual history right where we're not shying away from those controversial topics anymore mind you we're still making it kid appropriate because you know when you especially when you're in the middle school you know elementary school area you don't sure. necessarily yeah, want to be yeah, teaching yeah. about some of those stuffs but to put a very good quote and i i will not Take credit for this quote. I don't know who said it, but if children are old enough to experience racism, sexual assault, and violence, they are old enough to learn about it. And it's true. 
if you don't understand what's happening, then you'll never understand how to fix it or why it's happening or anything like that. So I am very, very proud to say that, especially in the social studies department, we are making a real push towards teaching some of the less glorified facts about history, specifically American history. My When I was doing my student teaching, I did a... Uh, lesson on colonialism. I had a whole unit about colonialism, and I started with Christopher Columbus and the sail of the ocean blue in 1492. I debunked a whole bunch of myths about him, and I went straight into the whole thing about how he enslaved the natives, raped the natives, brought conquest and destruction, and was immediately and promptly jailed when he returned to Spain. I did not shy away from those facts. I did not shy away from the enslavement and the abuse of the Africans during the scramble for Africa and the absolutely horrific things that were happening in the Republic of Congo. I did not shy away from those things, but I kept it appropriate. Right. I didn't show gory images right. of like, you know, kids getting their heads chopped off or anything like that, but I wanted the children to know that these things happened and their impacts are still felt today. Yeah. And that's important. The most important thing that we can get our children to understand is one, that these things happened, but two, that their impacts are still occurring today. 400 years of American racism does not disappear in a generation of civil rights, right? <laughs> 400 years of American racism does not just go away because black people were given the right to vote and the right to work in equal settings with, you know, white Americans. That doesn't just go away. And it's really frustrating to hear people nowadays talking about how this new age history, this revisionist history, is polluting our Amer our young American minds and polluting our children and teaching them to hate America. No, we are not teaching your children to hate America. We are teaching your children the truth that America has not always been the greatest country in the world and that we have not always been the best to our indigenous black and brown people who were not even considered citizens for the longest time. Yeah. It took until 1927, I believe, I believe that is the exact date, for the American government to recognize the legitimacy of American indigenous religions. In a country that prides itself on freedom of religion, it took until 1927 for them to actually say, yeah, native religions are a thing too. We'll respect that. And they don't want me to teach about that because that paints America in a negative light. Did you know in Texas it's actually illegal to talk about things that paint America in a negative light? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I've been seeing um, bills pop up or talks pop up about trying to keep that out of schools, about trying to keep the negative aspects of the U.S. out of schools and all that. I don't think there's anything uh, as big as like a proposed bill yet. Yeah. But I know it's been a talking point about essentially like san keeping history sanitized. Yeah. It 
there's a lot of defense around it because parents are up in arms about, you know, not wanting their kids to learn about these horrific things. And I totally get that. I totally respect parents wanting to protect their children, right? I get it. But you can't. It is irresponsible to deny our children the right to a proper education. It is irresponsible for us to lie by omission when we talk about things like why Black Lives Matter is still protesting, to talk about things like why, oh God, what was his name? It was the most recent shooting in, I believe it was Minnesota. Amir Aubrey is his name? I think. I think I it was Amir that, Aubrey. That's, that's Legal. Name, I, I don't remember if he's the most yeah. recent in the news. So uh, it, happened on, it happened on February 2nd. I apologize if I can't remember the name. Um, legal gun owner was in his cousin's house. No knock warrant was executed. He did the thing that all NRA gun enthusiasts say to do in a home invasion. You reach for your gun. He had proper trigger discipline when he did so, and he got gunned down by the police within nine seconds. Yeah, why things like that still happen, right? We owe it to our children to teach them these things. We owe it to our children to help them to understand that there are reasons behind this, not justifications, but reasons because if we don't understand where they came from, we will never understand how to fix them. That is the power of education. That is the reason why education exists. It exists to solve problems. Amir Aubrey was the uh, jogger. Was the jogger? Okay, who was the, who, who am I talking about? Amir Locke, Amir Locke was his name, right? No knock warrant in Minneapolis and it resulted in his death. Yeah. And. A lot of people are rightfully so claiming that it was it had a little bit more to do with his race than, you know, people might like to admit. And I totally, totally accept that. Yeah. Because he did the right thing. He did everything correct. He heard people bursting into his house. Well, not his house. It was his cousin's apartment, right? He heard people bursting in. He was asleep. He reached for his gun, had his finger off the trigger did not point it at the officers that we saw on the video camera and everything like that. They were shouting orders to him, but he was just waking up, so he couldn't obviously respond to them appropriately. He was still covered in a blanket by the time they shot him. They made no attempt to de-escalate that situation. None. And it's ridiculous. Things like that still happen. And police violence is an entirely different topic of conversation, but it all leads back to the failure of education for police officers, because I also learned how to be a police officer, and I know exactly the type of training that they go through, or don't go through, I should say. Yeah. That, that can be a whole nother... Yeah. The militarization of the police and police education. And, I mean, how long is the police academy? Uh, the federal police academy or the state police academy? It depends. Yeah, like how I much mean, on average training do police, regular police officers have? I'm going to say about 12 weeks. Yeah. A couple months. I, I feel like... And they be, don't have to go to law school? You know what? Uh, I know here in in Delaware they have to have an associate's degree now for state troopers. Oh, yeah? For state troopers. Okay. Mm -hmm. See, that's 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 at least something, right? Yeah. I, at least last at least 10 years ago when I checked... Well, let's hope it. 12 you know. years ago when I checked, it was an associate's degree. Let's hope it's at least that now. You know? <laughs> I will say for the most part, again, I'm a white guy, so I can't really speak too well on it. But, like, I haven't heard too much about negative about, like, Delaware State Troopers. I'll be honest, I haven't heard anything about them. But then again, I haven't looked. Yeah. So. 
So, might be worth might be worth looking into. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm not a huge fan of the county guys, but yeah. the state troopers I've never had a negative interaction with. I do know but that... again, I'm white, so... Yeah. I, I do know that there was a recent Black Lives Matter protest in Wilmington, I believe it was this past year, uh, in 2021, I believe, um, that completely uneventful, as far as, like, you know, police violence or anything was concerned, so... Yeah. You know, kudos to them for not messing with a legal <laughs> protest. Yeah. It's sad when we have to give cops pre- credit for doing their jobs, you know? You know what... I think we need more of that in general, just gratitude towards people for just doing a good job at what they're doing. Like, yeah. that was one of the things growing up, like, I never felt, like, from my parents, I never felt gratitude. It's like, yeah, I did my chores, can I get at least a thank you? I didn't get an allowance, like, can I get at least a thank you? Yeah. And I was told, you shouldn't get thanked for doing what you're supposed to. I'm like, that's kind of fucked up. So no, to all to all the cops that actually do their job and the ones that speak out, thank you. Like seriously. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. You know, to everyone out there who is even just getting through the day, you know, thank you for making it. <laughs> I think the world needs needs a little more kindness and gratitude. Oh, hundred percent. I, I don't think there'll ever be a time when we couldn't use more. Yeah. I was having a uh, conversation with some of my students about just disrespect in general, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I told them my personal philosophy, which is that uh, respect is given. Disrespect is earned. If I respect you, you respect me. And I'm not talking about like I as a teacher, you as a student. I'm talking about as an individual, man-to-man, person-to-person, right? If I give you respect, you give respect back to me, right? If you don't respect me, if you actively disrespect me, I should say, then... I'm still not going to disrespect you until it gets to the point where I have to, right? That's just my personal belief, right? I don't like being disrespectful even when people are disrespectful to me because I get it, people have bad days, right? Some days you're just not all there. Some days you you got a splinter in your toe and you keep walking on it and you're just like, ah, screw the world, like I hate everybody, right? I That's not against me, right? Yeah. If I feel like it's against me, then we got a problem, but like, I try to give everybody the benefit of the doubt, especially my students, because I know my students, they're hormonal teenagers, they've got girlfriend problems, boyfriend problems, daddy issues, mommy issues, all kinds of, you know, stuff like that, and not to say daddy issues, mommy issues in, like, a derogatory sense, literally, some of these kids have messed up parent life. Parental issues, like, yeah. Yeah. So I was one of those they, kids. These, these kids have issues, real, palpable, meaningful issues, and so if they're being a little snippy with me, I'm not going to take it personally. Yeah, right? and like you said, they're hormonal their brains haven't fully developed right and we don't teach healthy ways of expressing those feelings yeah not usually i'm 31 i'm going through therapy to learn how to better (laughs) express myself and my feelings that is the one thing and i gotta give a quick shout out to um mccain high school for what they do mccain high school actually has a legitimate student therapy program where students who have known discipline issues can go and talk to a guidance counselor, can go talk to a therapist and learn how to deal with those issues. Huge shout out to McCain High School for what they do there. I believe that that should be in every single school, every single school, middle school, elementary school, high school, college, everywhere across the nation. Mm -hmm. Because everybody needs that. All students need that type of knowledge. It will 
only do great things for their mental health and for their ability to succeed in school. Yeah. So huge shout out to McCain High School for that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's that's why I love uh, educators like Mr. Rogers, you know, yeah. uh, the children's show host. Like, he, his whole program was, a lot of it was teaching children how to express. You know, maybe some of his methods are outdated. I, I'm not sure I would have to look that up, but like... Mm-hmm. He, he didn't shy away from things like death or divorce. Like, he actively talked to children that way. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that is something that, one, parents should learn how to teach. And two, like, why can't that be a class growing up? No reason. You know? No reason why not, except that it's not academically valid, <laughs> but whatever. They can take their academic validation and shove it. Hmm. There are a couple of things. If I had my druthers, if I had my way of just completely overhauling the public education system, I got a list. I'm going <laughs> to rattle off a couple of these things. First sure. off, school starts way too early. For high school and middle school specifically, school starts way too early. You bump that crap up to like 9 o'clock, right? Math... Math education goes no further than geometry. We go to algebra, we go to geometry, we stick with that for two, three years of high school, right? That way they get, you know, the algebra one, they take geometry, they go back to algebra one to do a little bit more advanced algebra one, right? But they don't get to algebra two, they stick with those algebra fundamentals. Third change, the major, major big change. Get rid of this god-awful emphasis on test scores and the ridiculous notion that failure is bad. If it takes a kid nine years to learn how to multiply, it takes him nine years to learn how to multiply. And guess what? He's better for it. Because when he finally gets to division or whatever it is that's going to build off of multiplication, he will finally have that true understanding. It doesn't matter how long it takes him to get there. Exactly. It doesn't matter how long it takes you to graduate high school. If it takes you five, six years to graduate high school, it takes you five, six years to graduate high school. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. That's bringing to mind uh, two quotes to me. A lot of quotes this episode. Yeah. It was from uh, Avatar, The Last Airbender. Uncle Iroh said, failure is just a chance to start again, but this time more wisely. Exactly. And then to your point of like, if it takes that long, it takes that long. Uh, Bruce Lee said, you know, I'm not afraid of the man that's practiced 10,000 punches once. I'm afraid of the man that's practiced one punch 10,000 times. Yeah. I really want to harp on this emphasis of failure because like we are taught from children, from young children, that failure is the be-all, end-all. That you have to pass, you have to pass, you have to pass. You cannot fail, you cannot fail, you cannot fail. Because if you fail, you get left behind. If you get left behind, you're ridiculed or you're a failure, you're a menace to society, whatever, whatever, whatever. We need to get away from that. Mm -hmm. We need to stop just pushing kids through. And the No Child Left Behind law has just destroyed every single chance that we had of making it so that failure was what it should be, which is an opportunity to try again. 
Now failure is feared. It's the, it's the big bad of the education world. Failure, if you fail as a student, there's no saving you. We can't help you anymore. You failed. You've lost your one opportunity to succeed in your life, and now you are done for. So they don't fail kids anymore. They push them through. They say, okay, you don't get it. You'll try it again next time, right? But they never let them try it again. Instead, they push them on to the next level and the next level and the next level. I have kids, like I told you, that cannot operate above a third grade math level. And I'm expected to teach them advanced algebra techniques. It does not work. I can get them to do it. Do they understand it? Not really. And if they don't understand it, then when I'm done with them and they move on to their next teacher or college or whatever, when somebody is not really going to hold their hand with it, then they're going to be lost in the sauce. And it's only going to hurt them. Failure is not the be-all, end-all, and we need to stop pretending like it is. Because honestly, very honestly, what is the worst thing that happens to an individual that doesn't get their high school diploma at 18 years old? Yeah. Nothing. You can get your high school diploma at 30 years old. If that's how long it takes you to get it, then that's how long it takes you to get it. You can find jobs. You can find a way to survive. You can make it without a high school diploma. Not that you should. No. But you can make it. You can survive without a high school diploma. Millions of people do it yeah. in America. Not even across the world. Millions of people do it in America. It's possible. It's difficult. And having that education certainly helps, which is one incentive to get that education. But failure is not going to kill you. No. And we have to stop teaching children that failure is this ultimate evil of the education world. And we have to start embracing that failure is just their way of trying. If they try and they fail, that's fine. Because they get to try again as many times as it takes. As much as I dislike the man, Edison said, I didn't fail a thousand times at improving the light bulb. I found a thousand ways not to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's clever. I like that. Yeah. On the flip side, Tesla also said if he did a little bit of math, he would have saved himself 90% of the work. Well, yeah. <laughs> And see, there is a lesson for you, kids. Yeah, no, see, like, you do the work. Do the work the first time. I promise you it's going to help you. I keep trying to get my kids to not take shortcuts. I'm like, do the work. I promise you it's going to work out. It really is, and I was actually talking to another teacher about this recently, like just yesterday, actually, about, uh, or not yesterday, on Thursday when we last had school, um, just about how ridiculous of a notion it is that we just push kids through because we don't want them to fail. No, let them fail. It's okay to fail. Mm -hmm. It's really not that bad, I promise you. But we have such a, and part of it is, there, there's a legitimate reason, part of it is the idea of failure and what that does to a kid's mental health. Because if a kid is constantly struggling and constantly you know, failing, then obviously that's gonna weigh negatively. But therein, lies the problem. It's their perception of failure. It's what failure means. It's their attitude towards failure that's really causing the problem. It's not the fact that they're failing. It's the fact that they're failing and they feel bad about it, which is something that can be dealt with. Mm -hmm. Just like we can deal with the failure, 
We can also deal with their attitude towards the failure. And that is the real key. But that is hard to do. So instead, we just push them through. We don't let them fail. We say we avoid that problem by making it a non-issue, and we don't let them fail. And then we make it my problem seven years down the line when they can't multiply single digits together. And I have to try to teach them the Pythagorean theorem, which is multiplication. That's the big thing that I would change, is just that emphasis of you have to pass, you have to pass, you have to pass. Yeah. And just in general, like, and this is not an educational thing. I mean, I guess it is, but like this is like in general, I would I would change American culture to value education again. Because I feel and this is just an opinion of mine, take it for what it's worth, but I genuinely feel that American education is not valued anymore. We don't trust our scientists. We don't trust our doctors. We don't trust our teachers. We don't trust our professors. Everything is a plot. Everything is a scam. Everything is a lie. It's all fake. We don't trust education. All the, the conspiracy theories. Conspiracy nuts. The people my, that... My view on conspiracy theories is it relates to Benjamin Franklin saying three men keep a secret if two of them are dead. Yeah. The more people in that need to be involved to make this conspiracy true, the more likely it is fake. Yeah. You know, like the moon landing. Are you seriously telling me someone's paying thousands of people to keep quiet and that they're all honoring that? After 60 years? Yeah. Uh, Almost six years. We landed on the moon, people. Yeah. The The earth isn't flat. Yeah, the flat earth with the ice ring around it. Do you think for one second in a capitalist society that the flat earth ice ring would not be a tourist attraction? Seriously, yeah. Yeah. And then what would be the point of hiding that the earth is flat? Well, supposedly... And uh, bear with me, I'm not a flat earther, but I, I've been on enough of their ridiculous forums to, to think that I have an idea. Supposedly, at uh, the edge of the earth, uh, the edge of the flat earth, there's like a portal to another realm, or like a hollow earth theory. I don't know, it's weird. And there's like some sort of like weird, you know, t- wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff that like makes it like an event horizon almost, where like people go in, they don't come back out. So we can't let them near the wall because we don't, or like aliens or something, like people aren't ready for that knowledge or something ridiculous like that. I don't know. There's like 8 million different theories and they're all, they're all equally strange and equally ridiculous in my mm-hmm. opinion. Uh, and education would fix it. It would. It almost education. Education is the solution to every problem. I keep saying that. I keep, I wholeheartedly believe that. I wholeheartedly believe with every fiber of my being that if we just taught people, if we just taught people the facts, the real nitty-gritty, sometimes awful, sometimes terrible, sometimes you wish it didn't happen facts, and you taught people how to analyze arguments, you taught people, which is another thing that we do in social studies, it's all about analytical argumentation. Love that. We teach people how to argue. We teach people how to look for red herrings and logical fallacies and how to source analyze and all of that stuff. Mwah, beautiful. It's my bread and butter. I love it. If we taught people how to do that and if they actually did it, we'd be better off as a society. And, you know, I think we need to kind of loosen up a bit, let education be more fun 
Oh, and, 100%. Uh, we should encourage curiosity. Yep. We should nurture it. One of the reasons you're going back to the whole education is boring thing, it is legitimately very difficult to make certain aspects of education fun and interactive and, you know, an active learning experience. It's very difficult to do that. It requires well, a lot of planning, a lot of coordination. It requires a lot of prep time, like the planning lessons and all that. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes energy. It's much easier and much more healthy on somebody's sanity to sometimes work with what you got, which is books or, you know, just like letters or something like that, right? So... Well, let me rephrase it from let's make it fun and entertaining to let's make it engaging. That's again. true. Yes, but even that is still very good. And this is not an excuse. I'm just saying it is, you know, because I've been there where you're, try, you're spending hours upon hours trying to figure out one lesson, how to make it fun and engaging. And it's exhausting, dude. Doing that for an entire year, I get why people well, buy lesson plans. Two I things, get it. Two things. <laughs> one, y'all need to be paid more. Oh, uh, I'm not arguing. <laughs> I'm not even going to talk about that. We're just... Uh, you're responsible for... You You are one of the people responsible for the future of the country. Yeah. You are raising the next generations. Before, before we get up, the, the, I want to say one thing. I actually broke down the math. Pre-tax, right? So before any of my tax money comes out, I make 67 cents per kid per hour for 30 kids. Moving on. <laughs> I, I think you would probably make more as a babysitter oh, if you like you create your own. 100%. Anyway. 100%. And then point number two, it shouldn't all fall on the teacher. Textbooks. The way we do textbooks, awful. Yeah. Some textbooks are way too outdated, and some states have a little too much say in what goes into their textbook. Yeah. Texas. <laughs> um, yeah, they put more emphasis on Texas history than they do American history. Yeah. We can make textbooks more engaging. I remember my AP US history class with uh, that one clown that got in trouble for sleeping oh, yeah. with a student. Yeah. I have never been so bored by a book that I fell asleep reading it. I would start dozing off in class reading the textbook. Yeah. It was boring. And the names of the people who write that textbook on the front, they just get paid to put their name on it. There's ghostwriters that put these books together. It's usually a few dozen ghostwriters. Yeah. We can make the resources available to teachers more engaging. Like, we have the digital age we're in the digital age we can yeah. make things more engaging oh yeah and that's the one of the resources that we're actually trying to push for is this online engagement learning and all that one of the problems i will say and because it's wonderful you know if you can get kids engaged with like you know playing games and they're learning and they're doing all that stuff it's great one of the problems that we're running into is that when you give children laptops they're going to be children when you give children electronic devices, they're going to be children, which means that for every five minutes that they spend doing this fun little activity that I have planned for them, they're going to spend 10 minutes doing something on an online website that they actually want to do instead of going to school, right? So 
it's wonderful. It's great. Technology has incredibly amplified our ability to learn, to teach, and to just engage with our students. There's no denying that. It's not perfect. It's never going to be perfect because you put technology in the hands of children who have grown up with it. They never have not had technology. They know how to use it better than we do. I, I don't know how to use my laptop the same way that these kids know how to use their Chromebooks. I've got kids that are, you know, downloading uh, Game Boy Advance ROMs on their Chromebooks and they play Pokemon in the middle of class. And I'm like, how'd you do that? I want to do that. Like, you know, it's just these kids, they know what they're doing with this technology. And a lot of teachers just can't keep up. And, Jeez. Yeah. You're younger than me. I, by a year. Come on now. Right. right. <laughs> you're, you're younger than me. Yeah. I know how to do I was doing that in high school. Okay, that's because you're tech savvy, Mr. <laughs> you know, setting all this audio equipment up and doing the whole thing with the podcast. <laughs> Mr. Tech Savvy. Of course you would know how to ROM a freaking uh, Game Boy Advance game onto your laptop. I don't know how to do that. I'm computer illiterate, practically. God, like, you make me feel old. Like... <laughs> I bought a Raspberry Pi microcomputer and turned that into an emulator to play, like, ten different video game systems. Legally. <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> no, you can, you can legally get the game. <laughs> for those of you listening at home, this man just darted his eyes back and forth for about six seconds before he was like, legally. I was waiting for it. <laughs> well, the emulators are actually... Free and legal to use. Yeah. It's the ROMs you have to pay for, yeah. usually. But I, I think maybe you're just a little out of touch. I am definitely out of touch. I will not deny that. <laughs> I, I am definitely not on the cutting edge of I, any I've type of technology. I've got a Game Boy Advance emulator on my phone. Shh. Yeah, more power to you, bud. But, uh, yeah, no, it's just, it, it, it is one of those things that I'm noticing. And it's also, you know, a problem with cell phones in the classrooms. Like, I cannot enforce cell phone in, like, cell phone use in my classroom. I can't. Mm -hmm. Because, one... Uh, school districts just don't have discipline programs in place for cell phone violations, like unless it's like, you know, a person like doing something incredibly inappropriate with a cell phone, in which case, okay, there's, you know, some type of action we can do about that. But like if a kid's just got his cell phone out in class, I can be like, hey, put it away. And if they don't, I could send them to like, you know, detention or whatever. But why? The more time they spend out of class, going back to the prison school pipeline, right? The more time they spend out of class, the more likely they are to get into trouble, the more likely they are to get into trouble with the law. So we just deal with it. We grit our teeth and we bear it. And we say, hey, put your phone away. They don't do it. It's like, okay, well, I guess you're not going to learn today, right? Like, I, I'm, I can't keep reminding you every five seconds to put your phone away because then nobody learns. So either I got to worry about everybody learning or I got to worry about you not learning. What am I going to do, right? So that's another problem that we have. And I'm sure I know that there are teachers out there that make it work. I wholeheartedly applaud you. Remember, I'm baby teacher. I'm first year. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Give, cut me some slack. All right. I, I think uh, one of the issues there, too, is government, school boards, bureaucracy in general. It's slow to adapt. Oh, very much so. It, it doesn't just boil down to, oh, give the kids Chromebooks, laptops, whatever. Like... These are tools that could, in some form or fashion, be used in the classroom. Like, there, like, there's so much great stuff on YouTube. Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah. you know, one of um one of the tools that uh, I was using um, <clears throat> for when I taught my geography class, 
there's a program on uh, Schoology where you can like, I forget what it's called, but you can have like a YouTube video and you can insert this YouTube video and kids will watch the YouTube video and then periodically throughout the video, you can ask questions or you can have little activities or something like that to like check for learning, right? It's great. The kids are watching the video so they don't feel like they're learning, but they're still learning, right? And then you get them a question every now and then and then they pop it in and they're like, oh cool, I know this one, da 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 Or they do a little connect the dots or something like that. It's all types of engaging stuff. They've got a whole bunch of websites like, you know, Kahoot and stuff out there where there's all types of engaging learning activities for these kids all kinds, right? I'm not saying they don't exist. What I'm saying is that it's much more time consuming and it takes a lot more creative effort to work with those technologies than it does to plan a traditional, you know, lecture, like a Socratic seminar or something like that. Right. Even in like, even if we weren't going to do like a traditional Socratic seminar, even if we we're going to do like a pen and paper, like activity, right? Those pen and paper activities, I can knock one of those out in a couple of minutes. Whereas putting together one of those little online games could take hours. Right. It's it's it really is for a lot of teachers and myself included, and I will freely admit this. For a lot of teachers, it really is just a time thing. I, there aren't enough hours in the day to do what we need to do, especially when we're planning a week, two weeks in advance, right? Right. Because you know the school year adapts. You know your your scope and sequence changes, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, cool! Now you got to teach about this. Now uh, that wasn't in the plan in the beginning of the year. Let me scramble something together real quick. You know, so it it really is. There's not enough time in the day. Right, but one of the things I was arguing is um, it shouldn't be. It doesn't. It shouldn't really be on all on the teachers like how many teachers are in the u.s uh that's a lot a lot uh, yeah <laughs> that, that's, that's all i need fucking create like a giant subreddit where all of you exchange <laughs> information you know There's... discord server i know there is probably yeah. one but yeah, i'm yeah. saying like it, it's uh. it's one of those things like there could be a, a better way to connect for teachers to connect and work on lesson plans together and say, oh, hey, I found this great YouTube video that explains it better than the textbook we're using, mm. you know, and just kind of pull resources and things like that. And I'm, I'm sure there are yeah. small scattered groups, but I feel like the education system as a whole could start leaning into that part of our culture because that is a part of our culture now oh yeah and that's what i mean when i'm saying like the school board especially is slow to adapt to things like that mm -hmm. like there is no reason why you and you know 20 other math teachers from all across the country can't have like a little discord server saying oh yeah yeah, yeah this is working for me let's try this you know. And there is so to to your credit, right, or to your point, they they do they are trying, right? But it is slow to adapt, right? We're having these district Zoom meetings because instead of putting people all in one building, we have to do Zoom now, which is convenient, right? It's fair, you sure. know, use the technology, right? And we're having these Zoom meetings where the whole purpose is just to discuss, hey, how are your teaching like? How is your teaching coming along? What techniques are you using? How can we analyze this, analyze that, right? And we're constantly, you know, doing professional development on working together as a unit, as a whole, as a district or uh, uh, whatever, towards bettering our students, towards becoming better teachers and, and providing better resources for our students. It doesn't happen very often. 
and it is more than likely district-led. So it's not something that like the teachers themselves are getting into. It's like, hey, let's meet up and do this, right? Which we probably should, I freely admit that, right? One of the other problems that we're faced with, just in general teachers as a whole, there's no actual total standardization across the board for any type of subject. There's no standardization federally for math subjects, for social studies subjects, science, anything. It's all up to the individual states. It's all up to the individual school boards. It's all up to the individual districts, down all the way to the individual schools if you get down to the private school level, right? Yeah. Every single institution has its own set of rules, its own set of standards, its own rules, guidelines that they're playing by. And when you try to mix and match them all together, it can get really fuzzy, really confusing because you can be like, hey, I'm doing this. This is working really well. And somebody's like, well, I can't do that because of X, Y, Z. Yeah. But at the same time, if they hear, oh, you're doing that. Well, I can't do that in my district. But if I do it this slightly other way. Yeah, 100%. That adaptation and that's a part of the job, right? It's just, you know, improvise, adapt, overcome. It's it's there. It's it's the same idea behind innovation and technology. It's like, oh, they did this. Let me look at that. How'd they do it? Oh, I can improve by doing this. I mean, don't get me wrong. That's being stifled a little more nowadays. But especially in the early days of tech. Oh, yeah. I was just like, oh, cool. Let me do this and add this. Oh, I just made it better. Mm-hmm. Oh, let me pass it on to this guy. And that was Tesla's whole mentality as well. There was some guy using one of his patents, and he could have been making money off of this guy. And Tesla was like, no, I'm not going to sue him. He's doing good work. Let him do it. Really? Mm-hmm. That's surprising of Tesla, considering... Tesla died penniless. Yeah. Tesla was all about improving science. Hmm. He, he wanted to make... Electricity free for everyone. Right. Never mind. I keep getting him and Edison confused because Edison yeah. was the one that ripped him off. Oh yeah. yeah, Edison was a greedy motherfucker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no. It's just it really is. It's there are a lot of problems, a lot of problems, and unfortunately, I don't have all the answers. Nobody does. Like I said, this is a very, very new field, relatively speaking. You know. Yeah education as a whole, child psychology, child development, brain development. We know practically everything there is to know about the brain except how it works. (laughs) We know practically everything there is to know about child development except how it works. We know practically everything there is to know about education except how it works. Like, you know, we don't know nearly enough to actually make this stuff work. So right now, like I said at the beginning, we're just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. Right. I I just think, like... We're not giving ourselves enough of a fighting chance because we have the resources. We have some knowledge and we're just not applying it. But, you know, that's, to your point, bureaucracy and slow to change and all that stuff. I I feel like, in a way, there's too much interference in schools with teachers. Like, maybe, maybe there's too many hands in the pot trying to say how things should be done. Too many cooks spoil the broth? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. But... I, I feel like things should be a little more teacher first. Like, I feel like, again, like a Discord or a subreddit where teachers can get together and talk. Maybe you have, like, the child psychiatrists and psychologists in there. And just, essentially, it's a great cast a wide net. And you have the legitimate 
even though it's anecdotal, you have a lot of this actual lived experience, mm -hmm. and you can be, someone can sit there and look at it and be like, oh wait, here's some common threads that's spanning all across. Yep. And I, I feel like there isn't that kind of, at least from an outsider looking in, it there isn't that kind of like unity across the board, that communication across the board. Yeah. And I feel like that's something that could be incredibly helpful. Oh, absolutely. But I also feel like the most important person in the whole, ed aside from students, most important person, most important people in the education system, the teachers, are the ones who are least heard. Yeah. You know, again, my baby teacher opinion, but yeah, I, <laughs> I would agree with that. There is, you know, obviously like teachers unions and all that stuff where teachers can get their voices heard, but for the most part, a lot of teachers do basically go silent, right? Where they're, we talk about things like, hey, you know, this needs to change. I'm having these problems in my classrooms. And then it gets all the way up to the staff level and the administrative level. And then they just are like, oh, that's nice. Here, we'll do this. That does literally nothing to help that. A uh, perfect example of that, one of the, uh, just before the school year started, actually uh, soon after the previous school year ended, uh, all of the math departments in the entire district got together and they were trying to work on the scope and sequence, which was the schedule for the next year, right? The next school year. And there were a whole bunch of suggestions, right? A whole bunch of suggestions from very, very prominent teachers, very educated teachers, teachers who knew what they were talking about, who had been there, who had done that and everything like that. And they were like, yeah, we should do this. And then just was like, okay, we'll take that in consideration. And then this year when we got the scope and sequence, they were like, none of that is in here. <laughs> None of what we suggested is in here. And, I mean, don't get me wrong, you know, it's a it's a good scope and sequence, right? The kids are learning what they're supposed to learn and everything like that. They made some questionable decisions, on my, in my opinion, right? But, you know, it's still a decent schedule. It's still a decent calendar for, you know, what the kids should be learning. Sure. It could be better. It could always be better. And one of the reasons that could, or one of the things that could have made it better is if they had listened to the teachers more. I wasn't a part of that. I can take no credit for that. Uh, this was happened, it happened before my time, you know, shortly before, but still. So I can only say what I've heard, right? And again, this is just my opinion. So take it for what it's worth. And I remembered what I was gonna say previously about the technology. When I was in school uh, at the University of Delaware, I actually, we had to take a technology and education course where we learned about all of these different resources that are available to teachers, all these different computer games and online learning programs and platforms and ways that we can make education fun and engaging with technology. And it was great, it was fantastic. But there was only one class. It was just one class and it was one of those little half semester classes. It was like, you know, seven weeks instead of the full 14, right? It yeah. was great, but it wasn't enough. It was not enough, and it was towards the very end after I'd already been chock full of information and I was just trying to get through with my uh, with my capstone and all that stuff. So all of that stuff just kind of just right out the window as soon as I got out. And I was like, oh, I can use some of this stuff, but most of it is just gone. Yeah. So. But it is good that at least, you know, they're making an effort to teach about that, right? It's a start. It's a start. It's a start. Yeah. But definitely slow to adapt. 100%. Slow to adapt. Slow to adapt and even slower, I would say, to actually truly evolve. 
We have not changed our education system appreciatively in the past 60 years, not since the Cold War actually started kicking off. And we were like, oh, we need to put men into space. So now we need to do math and advanced science and advanced this and advanced that. And we've just been pushing and pushing and pushing to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And we're losing the fundamentals as a result. We're losing those fundamentals and it's really biting us in the ass. Yeah. And we're losing that emphasis on the arts and on civics education, especially, and on all these other different, very, very important, very, very fundamental parts of our culture, our society, and who we are as people. Yeah. We're losing that in favor of STEM. And there's nothing wrong with STEM. I will never say that STEM is not valuable. I will never say that STEM, which for those of you that don't know, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, I will never say that it's not worth the effort that they're putting into it because we always are going to need scientists. We're always going to need mathematicians. We're always going to need engineers and the technology is just going to keep getting bigger and better. But we cannot sacrifice the humanities because of it. We cannot sacrifice history. We cannot sacrifice civics. We cannot sacrifice art or music or theater because all of those are vitally important to everything that we do as a society. Uh, I definitely agree. We need people. I think underestimate how much the arts are, how important they really are. I mean, if you look first, first off, if you look back throughout history, some of the most scientific minds were also the most artistic minds. Yeah. Look back at Da Vinci, who was. You know, illegally obtaining dead bodies to map out human anatomy. <laughs> I mean, it's creative, not necessarily moral, but I mean, hey, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He, he was probably a little more of a, the ends justify the the means kind of guy. Yeah. But uh, but no, look, he he did his anatomical drawings are still used in modern medicine. Oh yeah, and. A lot of the most famous artists were also some of the most famous engineers and mathematicians, scientists. There is something to be said about the ability to be abstract and creative that lends itself to the sciences. Yeah. What immediately comes to mind is two things. Um, first of all, uh, Isaac Newton, inventor of calculus, uh, the only way that he was able to do that was because he approached mathematics in a creative and artistic way. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just, he, he created a new form of math. You don't just do that by following the numbers. You have to think about mathematics in an artistic way. You have to think about it in a way that's not just plug and chug numbers, right? He was able to do that. And people still to this day are able to approach mathematics in a creative way because they think about mathematics as not just formulas and not just numbers and not just, you know, equations and all that. They think about it as this is real life. And real life is sometimes messy. Real life is circular. Real life moves, it flows, it does what it does, man. You just gotta go with the flow sometimes. And then they come up with these 
brilliant mathematical equations and these brilliant mathematical theories and all of these things because they approach mathematics in an abstract, theoretical way mm -hmm. instead of just constructive, right? Which, don't get me wrong, you need the constructive. You need that building block. But you also need to be able to think irrationally about it. You need to be able to approach things like the concept of the number zero, which did not exist in mathematics for a long time. Right. Until somebody was like, hey, what about if we made a number for nothing? And they were like, what? How can you do that? It's nothing. It doesn't have a number. But what if it did? Yeah. Oh, now we're cooking with fire, right? Second thing I wanted to bring up is that's actually what you were talking about, about the, the blending of the creativities and the blending of the arts to reach these innovations. That is the exact entire reason why colleges require liberal arts classes for STEM majors or for any other majors, right? They require you to take minimum amount of math, minimum amount of science, minimum amount of English, minimum amount of history, whatever, 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 right? All of these different disciplines, they contribute different skills. They contribute different ways of thinking. They contribute different <clears throat> approaches to problem solving. Right. And if you take certain tidbits from them and you apply them in new areas, in different ways, in just the right formula, you create something completely new and completely astounding. It happens all the time. That is how progress works. You approach a situation in a new way. You say, let's try it this way, and it works. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it doesn't work, and then you learn something then, too. Yeah. But nobody has ever made progress by doing the same thing twice. You have to change it up. Yeah, and just especially with technology, like, you have to be able to dream up some of these ideas. Oh, absolutely. You have to be able to think, you know, what could be phones and tablets yeah a good at least a good 20 years before the first smartphone Star Trek the next generation has Picard using a tablet yeah because somebody somewhere along the line thought hey what if we could take a computer screen and we could just make it super tiny that looks like a book. Mm -hmm. And then he can just use it as a book. Yeah. They thought of that. It didn't exist at the time, but they were like, what if? You know? Yeah. Curiosity and creativity and taking risks. You know? Oh, yeah. A, <laughs> a kind of humorous view on kind of working with what you got and getting creative a group of medical researchers were trying to find uh, develop a new heart pill right mm -hmm. and the pill didn't do much for the heart but uh, something else was definitely uh, oh, it rising got the, it got the blood pumping it got yeah. the blood yeah no for anyone who didn't know Viagra yeah was originally meant to be a heart pill and Instead of writing it off as a failure, someone was just like, oh, I got a good idea here. Yeah. You know, that, okay, maybe that wasn't the most creative t thinking, but I mean, because it might have been kind of obvious. But, you know, that is still a kind of like a, a creative thing. It's like, oh, well, well we it's failed at what we were doing, but we're turning this into a success. Exactly. It's a great way to look at failure. Exactly. It's the, because if they had approached 
they're thinking with, okay, we tried, we set out to do this, we didn't do it, right? And then they would just scrap it, right? Instead of looking at the possibilities. What did we make? We made something that, you know, solved another problem. Let's market this. Let's 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 work with this, right? The there was, you know, another example, right? Um, the guys who created Soylent, which I don't know if you know what Soylent is. Um, Soylent, for those of you that don't know, it's basically like it's people, it, right? No, <laughs> now that's that's from the movie. It does it does from, come from the movie. But Soylent <laughs> is a uh, nutrition a nutrition supplement, right? You basically take all of the here. I'll, I'll tell you the story, right? So these engineers, these engineering students, excuse me, at a prestigious college, they were so busy with their engineering homework and they were so busy with their engineering classes that they didn't have time to eat. They were surviving off of Top Ramen and, you know, microwave chicken dinners and all that stuff. And they were like, this is just, it's too time consuming. What if we could figure out a way to make eating simpler? And so they were like, okay, let's approach this from a scientific standpoint. What does food give us? Food gives us energy. Food gives us lipids. It gives us calories. It gives us all this stuff, you know, the essential vitamins and minerals and all that stuff. And they found out that you could buy that stuff pretty cheap online in bulk. So they literally did. They bought the vitamins, the amino acids, the lipids, the fats, the cholesterol, everything, right? They bought all of that stuff. And they put it together in a formula, in like a powder, that you could mix into a drink. And you could have a shake that replaced your entire meal. It's like the, the ultimate meal replacement shake, right? Because it provides everything. These engineering students were trying to solve their initial problem of not being able to eat because time because eating was too time consuming, and they created a multi-million dollar business off of it. I think it's still going. I'm pretty it sure is. you could still get Soylent. Soylent is and still the everywhere. Best part about it, the best part about it was that they released it to the public. They were like, hey, we did this. Go nuts. And then people were like, oh, cool. You can make this stuff blueberry flavored, chocolate flavored. You could add this and that. And if you wanted, if you were like a super meathead buff guy and you wanted to add more protein here, you can do more protein. These are the formulas for adding more protein for your weight and stuff like that. It just went nuts. Mm -hmm. It went completely crazy. All because these dudes were like, I don't want to eat anymore. It takes too much time. I'm worried about failing my engineering final. I've actually been looking into the meal replacement things. For some reason, legally, they're not allowed to say you can replace every meal with it. Yeah. Theoretically, you could. Theoretically. There's also the potential implications of what that does to your actual like jaw health and all that, because chewing is surprisingly good for you. But, you know, semantics. Gum exists. Gum uh, does exist. <laughs> and chewable toys. And then there's people like us who don't shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but... I, I always keep myself busy, even if it's with stupid mundane things. But from the time I get up until usually around this time, I'm just going and going and going. And there will be days I'm so caught up in what I'm doing, and this is most days, uh, especially if I'm off of work, I forget to eat. Like, I just don't get hungry. Like, my stomach doesn't growl, it doesn't gurgle, doesn't... I forget to eat. I... My wife yells at me all the time. Mike, do I have to text you to make sure that you're eating too? I'm already doing that with a couple of people, okay? I don't need to take care of you too. <laughs> but I've been looking into the meal replacements because I can keep it in the mini fridge here and just be like, set a reminder for myself, hey, stupid, eat. And just, oh. Right. Crack open a shake. And yeah. yeah. And keep going, doing yeah. whatever I'm doing, whether it's 
editing the podcast or working on some of my other ideas or, you know, writing D&D campaigns. Like, I can just grab it, go. Everything I need. Mm-hmm. No must, no fuss, no use for utensils. Mm-hmm. I don't have to wash dishes. I don't have to cook food. I don't have to... I can just grab it and go. Yeah. And then I can, you know, maybe do that for breakfast and lunch, then have a nice dinner. But, you know, it's just something I've been thinking about recently. And, you know, I've heard a lot of good things about Soylent. I like food too much. I mean, I like food too. <laughs> I would want to like enjoy it, but for those days where I'm just yeah. going, 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 it'd be great to have that. Yeah, no, you know I what else you. would be great to have? Hmm. Soylent, you should sponsor us. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Shameless plug. <laughs> um, my my brother used Soylent for a while. He liked it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, of course. I every time I saw him with it, I screamed at him. Soylent Green is people. <laughs> <laughs> they actually uh, released a mint flavor that the bottle is green. Oh, nice. So of course I've seen a bunch of memes online, just like Soylent it's people. Uh, I actually want to go back and watch that movie. I've never watched it. I haven't watched it either, surprisingly. Yeah. Here's an idea for like a little bonus video, bonus episode. Mm. We go get ourselves some Soylent to try <laughs> and watch that movie and we review it. <laughs> well, what do you know podcast reacts? <laughs> what do you know about Soylent Green? Hey. <laughs> if anyone wants that, let us know. Parting words. About education. Go ahead. You take it first. Okay. So I've said it about a million times this episode. I will say it a million times more until I'm blue in the face. Education is the key to everything. It is the solution. It is the the ultimate problem solver. And it is the ultimate equalizer. If you want to get ahead in life, you got to be educated. It doesn't have to be necessarily through formal education, but you got to learn. Keep learning. Always learning. You are always a student if you have tricked yourself into believing you are a master, you've already failed. But remember, failure isn't the ultimate evil. Mike? Uh, I forget who it was. It might have been Socrates or Plato that said, um, only a fool calls himself wise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that's not my final thought. My final thought, uh, since quotes were a theme, I have two quotes in mind. Go for it. One is from... The song Get Better by Scroobius Pip. And he says, It's as Billy said, whether you have or you have not wealth, the system may fail you, but don't fail yourself. He was talking about, you know, especially with public libraries and internet, like, if you are curious, if you have a question, it is so easy nowadays to find the answer. Mm -hmm. I mean, Especially nowadays, you need to be a little more critical with your sources. But it's out there. Like, the entirety of human knowledge is essentially in your hand. Literally. Yeah. And then one quote that kept popping up through my mind uh, this entire episode comes from one of my favorite games, Metal Gear Solid 2 by Hideo Kojima. Nice choice. Mm Mm-hmm. After, uh, I think it was um, after the end credits. I know there's a mid-credit scene and an after-credit scene when you beat the game. Solid Snake says, Life isn't just about passing on your genes. 
we can leave behind much more than just DNA. Through speech, music, literature, and movies, what we've seen, heard, felt, anger, joy, and sorrow. These are the things I will pass on. That is what I live for. We need to pass the torch and let our children read our messy and sad history by its light. We have all the magic of the digital age to do that with. The human race will probably come to an end sometime, and a new species may rule over this planet. Earth may not be forever, but we still have the responsibility to leave what traces of life we can. Building the future and keeping the past alive are one and the same thing. Poetry. Yeah. That is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like I was saying, we have all the magic of the digital age to teach all of this. And we shouldn't sanitize history. We should let future generations read history in its own messy, sad, fucked up light. <laughs> like you said, building the future, keeping the past alive are kind of the same thing. But hey, what do we know? You're first year teacher and I'm just some jackass on the web. We're all geniuses in our own light. But with that, I would like to thank everyone for listening. Remember, love each other, love yourselves. This has been What Do You Know Podcast. You can find us on our socials at What Do You Know Podcast. Love you guys. Peace out.